Institute Symposium. It had been mainly focused on recertifying you each year. We want to broaden that perspective. Uh, my hope and dream is in two to three years that this room will be packed, or wherever we go next year we'll be in Denver, that this room will be packed with educators from all types of institution, institutional and non-institutional settings, pastors and leaders, supervisors. And the reason for that is because there's nothing more important to me on my radar that I do every day than to think about how we're preparing leaders for the future. And here's the reason why. Having been general supervisor now for almost four years and sitting with so many supervisors and pastors through interventions, which means a crisis in ministry, often because of a crisis in life, I've come to a non-scientific conclusion that much of our interventions are needed because of a lack of training. Whether it's a financial crisis that they weren't adequately prepared for, whether it's a theological crisis that they weren't adequately prepared for, or whether it was a life crisis that they weren't adequately prepared for. And so it has risen on my focus of priorities, as long as the Lord has me in this role, for us to rethink how we train leaders. So I want to set the stage tonight. Um, I entitled this Education and the 21st Century Foursquare Church. And I want to give you a little bit of story about my own life and coming to Foursquare and where we are today and where I hope we're moving in the future. The encouragement in this video, I would love to say that the opening title was to the Foursquare Church, I would say. I wish I could have caught him to name it that. And I want to use the word education more broadly than we typically think. When I looked it up, one of the definitions that I want to share with you tonight that I want us to focus on, the knowledge or skill obtained or developed by a learning process. I love that definition. It doesn't necessarily say classroom. It doesn't necessarily say institution. We have a lot of difference of thinking of whether we train leaders or we develop leaders or we educate leaders, and my answer is yes. Because the, this definition gives such a broad space for us to do that. We want them to have knowledge and a skill set, correct? They obtain it or developed by, and I love the word developed because it denotes becoming in a process over time. And you're going to hear about that value in just a moment. I believe the learning process for leadership must be reformed in the Foursquare Church. I think crisis sometimes causes us to reform when a normal trajectory would not. Very rarely do we think about reform when we're being real successful. It's usually in crisis when we're ready to reform. I would say to you, when I look at the numbers, when I listen to young leaders in the Foursquare Church, I would say to you, we're in a crisis. And we need to reform the way we think about leadership and how to develop leaders for this next season of life. When I was thinking about developing leaders, uh, you can't go too far past Jesus and the disciples to think of a successful model. Never sat in a classroom that we know of. Never had a paper to grade that we know of. But here's just a few attributes that I think of as we read through the Gospels. And as our president led us through last year, interesting things happened in my own heart and life when I thought about discipleship all year long reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Thinking about the kingdom and thinking about discipleship is all I came out of it with. And here's what I saw. The Jesus model teaches principles... And then he sends them out to experience it. And they fail a lot. Have you noticed it? They fail a lot. Failures are met with a reorientation, correction, encouragement, and always a lot of grace. Thank God. He models it before them. He shapes their hearts. And then he leaves the whole thing with them. And I doubt that they felt ready. 
But an amazing thing happens when the world says, these 12 guys turn the world upside down. Maybe we're trying harder than Jesus did in a model that really doesn't work. Maybe we need to rethink the way we look at leadership development. You may have heard me talk about this because it's been my uh, soapbox recently. I was in an airplane and always on that ascending and descending area where you can't turn your electronics on yet, I pull out the airline magazine. It's just a habit for me. So I pull out the airline magazine and you'd be amazed at the content that I have found and the illustrations I've used from those airline magazines. And this particular day I opened up and there's a full page ad from an engineering school and it had the number 100. The first one and zero were completed. The third digit, the other zero, was still in process. It was metal, it had framing, it had partial material, and it had little characters all over with all of their engineering tools working on that last zero. And the caption said this, the blueprint to the next 100 is found in the first 10. And immediately the Lord spoke to my heart and said, that's a word for the Foursquare Church. I took a picture of it, and then I thought, I'm a member of this airline, and I pulled the page out. (laughs) They told me I could do that. So I tore the page out of the magazine, and I put it in my briefcase, and I got back to the office, and I put it before Glenn, and I said, I want you to test this however you want to do that, but I really believe the Lord is saying this to us. The blueprint to our next 100 years, we're going to be coming on our 100th anniversary of the Foursquare Church before we know it. And as we do, and we're beginning to think about the next century of this church, I felt like the Lord spoke clearly to me, look at the first 10. Look at the first 10 years. Why is that? Not because of a founder, not because of the person of Amy Simple McPherson, but of the DNA of ministry that was birthed in the church. What were the things that characterized the Foursquare Church in its first 10 years? I believe if we will look at those things and contextualize them for this day and age, we will find the key to exponential fruitfulness in our family. Why? Because the best version of myself is the person God created me to be. And the worst version of myself is when I'm trying to be someone else. And when I will fully be myself, there's joy in it, there's freedom in it, and it's honestly, it's easier to be. But when I'm trying to do something I was never designed to do, or be someone I was never wired up to be, it's hard to do, it's fake, and everyone knows it, and it's just not very effective. I think that's true of us as a church as well. If we will be really good at the things God's designed us to be, that we were born in in the beginning, I believe that we'll find those very same things. There's some verse that I remember seeing a few places about Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a principle in that that I believe is very true for us. Principles of the DNA that we were born to be. Training leaders is in the core of our being. Within six months of the founding of Angelus Temple, Life Bible Institute was on the rise. Amy was training leaders and sending them out to be missionaries and evangelists. Those were her two primary points of focus in those days. Missionaries and evangelists all around the country and around the world. And she trained them well. If you've ever talked to anyone who are in those early, I love to sit with a few that are left of the moms and dads of the Foursquare Church and listen to them talk about sitting through chapels and classes when Amy was teaching. It's an enriching experience to hear what we were really born in. So, Sir Ken Robinson, if you haven't seen that video, I recommend you download it. He's an amazing man uh, who was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II because of his creativity and artistic expression in looking at education and training children. Many awards and accolades, it's a wonderful thing to have and just look at every now and then. But when he said, should we lower our standards, he said, I've never found a reason to do so. I want to encourage us that we want to raise the bar 
on the competencies of our leaders. What you did not hear me say is that we should raise the bar and make it harder for people to lead. What you did hear me say is we need to raise the bar on those competencies of those leaders. And there's a big difference in those two things. I'll talk about that in a moment. I want to give you an expressed value that I believe is one of those points of DNA of the Foursquare Church. I see it throughout our history. I was not born in this church I was adopted in almost 20 years ago. And one of the very reasons that I chose this family was because of this value that I believe is at our core, and it's this, that we live and minister the balance of the word and the spirit. And our leaders have the disposition to be a lifelong learner of both. I grew up in a very classical Pentecostal church where there was no balance of the word and spirit. When I had a question about the word, the response I got was just pray about it. And there wasn't a lot of teaching or answering of our questions because we truly believed the spirit would answer everything. And I saw some of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. And I came to this family because I watched something in Foursquare Ministers and in Foursquare Churches that I believe is the best version of us. That is, we are deeply grounded in the Word of God. We train and we disciple people to be able to give an answer for the reason of the hope that lies within them, that they know the Word of God. But they also know the fullness of the Spirit of God and have the ability to minister that in a way that shepherds those gifts in what I like to call, and I've heard my other friends call, a sanely Pentecostal way. It is the unique distinctive. And yes, I know I use those two words together on purpose to double emphasize. It is a distinctive of the Foursquare Church that makes us a little different than many of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. Not because we're trying to be set apart, but because it's a wiring that God gave us. It's a calling, I believe, that we have. In fact, it was all, I, I have to tell you, I lived in Arkansas 15 years, so I can attest that what he said was true, uh, that when people get, yeah, you missed it. Um, it was amazing to me when my husband and I went there to plant churches, how often as we were trying to describe Foursquare, they couldn't get it. Because in the Bible Belt, you're either usually a very Southern Baptist or Church of Christ or Nazarene or Assembly of God or very classical Pentecostal. There's nothing in the middle. And it was one of the reasons we really believe God had called us there. Because the Bible Belt just doesn't have much in the middle. And what was really interesting is how many married couples came and settled in our Foursquare churches because one of them was Southern Baptist and one of them was Assembly of God. Or one of them was Church of Christ and one of them was from an independent charismatic. And they'd found no place that they could worship together. And they came to Foursquare and they said, we don't understand it, but it feels right. It's home. And they lived in the fullness of the spirit life. And for some of them, that was a real stretch. But because of the uniqueness of the Foursquare Church and the way we live out the spirit life, so grounded in the word, most of their arguments against Pentecost had no merit. Because most of the arguments against the Pentecostal church is that it's not deeply rooted in the word. It's more emotion than word. We hear it often in the classical Pentecostal church. Now, many are not true of that, but many are. And a uniqueness of the Foursquare church is that we are grounded in the word. We know the word. We train people in the word. We can quote the word. We live the word. It's our practice and our deed. But we are also deeply filled with the spirit and live by his breath and life and every whisper. That's a uniqueness of the Foursquare church and I want us to raise that again to where people know that's true. It's not true in all of our leaders these days. It's not true in all of the people that we're sending out. It's easy to drift 
from the way you were born. There's a lot of influences that will cause us to be squeezed into a mold in order to fit or in order to be like someone else or just because it's the natural tendency that we have. And we have to fight against the drift to stay true to who we are because we won't be as effective otherwise. And that's true when it comes to training. So how do we do that? You've heard us talk about it. The ELNs are based on it. And we are now focusing all of our education on these three things. I laid out a proposal to you last year, which has now been completely uh, engrafted into us. The board of directors has approved our pre-service training plan. I'm going to walk through a little bit of it with you tonight. But it's really geared around these three things. Heart, which is the personal formation. Head, the ministry formation, and hand, the skill set formation. You have in your Dropbox with all of your documents the pre-service training plan I'm going to be going through. If you're real tech savvy and want to pull it up, you can right now. Otherwise, you have it there to look at a little bit later where you can see all that we're going to go through. I'm not going to address it all tonight. I want you to be able to read it in detail. But it's really important for you to grasp this. And here's why I say we call this competency. These are not classes you're going to take. All right? This is really important that you understand. When we talk about the core competencies now of a four-square minister, this is not a list of classes that you take these classes, you check this box, and you're done. Because you may take all the classes and still not be competent in the area. It's all about competency. But I want you to see the things, because this is very important to us, uh, that we have taken these very seriously. These have been gathered. Uh, Dan Hedges was largely responsible for helping us pull this list together. This is not something we made up. It is higher education in the church world at large. But we did add some different language and some cultural distinctives that are true of Foursquare. The first one of personal formation of heart is a healthy personal and family lifestyle. And I can tell you most of the interventions we do have a lack of training right here. Because we have people who have gone through Bible college. They know theology backwards and forwards. They know how to preach. They know how to counsel. They know how to administrate. But they don't know how to live healthy. They don't know how to be married. They don't know how to parent They don't know how to take care of themselves first. And probably because most of us were taught, I was. My mother had this little symbol on her mirror that said, better to wear out than rust out. Well, that set a course for my path. And what happens then, we become this driven type of leader and never understand that in Romans 12.3, there's a very important verse when it says not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We usually put a period and stop the verse right there. And when we do, we lose the entire context of the passage. Because it says, but to think of yourselves with sober judgment. Know yourself. Be aware, read above and below, be aware of the grace that's been given you and the spiritual gifts you've been given. The whole passage is really about thinking about yourself and knowing where you fit in the body, but not think that you're the most important member of it. That's really the context of the passage, to know ourselves, to understand how we are developed. We want every four-square minister to develop a pattern and a plan for continued personal growth and health in body, soul, and spirit. Doesn't sound like a bad idea, does it? We want them to have this in Christ-like character formation. This might surprise you, but I've, I've seen some really nasty stuff come out of some four-square ministers. I know you're shocked. Personal wholeness, identity, values, and calling. Why is that important? I've seen people in the wrong place trying to do a ministry and then beating themselves up because like, they feel like they're failing. And the truth is they're just a hand connected to a foot. It will never work right. If the hand is not connected to the wrist, it's not going to function well. If you put a hand on a foot, it won't work right. It's just that simple. 
for people to know how they've been wired, to have a value for lifelong learning. If you feel like you've arrived, you need to start over. Yes, I thought educators would be with me on that one. <laughs> Spiritual disciplines, sustainable rhythms of worship, work, rest, and play, family health, personal finance and retirement planning. I could rest there a while and I won't. Accountable relationships. You know one thing that we're discovering quite often? If we really dig into it, when we find a church in a financial crisis, we often find the pastor's personal finances are also in crisis. And it's because they've never received the training to know how to appropriately steward their lives, and their church. It's critical. Ministry formation, biblical understanding and interpretation. And all of you say, well, of course, that's why we're here. Well, we have had a lot of Foursquare ministers come in when we haven't had a high bar on education and training, and they've gone through a simple licensing guide and been licensed. And I'm hearing some scary Sunday sermons. We cannot take this for granted. Biblical understanding and interpretation. (laughs) Let me really major on that one. Basic Christian doctrine and theology. Church history and government. And this is where we'll put in heritage and polity and know the history of the church and the place of today in that story. Worldview and contextualization. A huge subject. For people to understand how to exegete their culture that they're going to. We're going to let FMI and our cross-cultural ministers train us in these things. Skill formation, evangelism, and discipleship. One of the things that Ryan Brown is doing right now with our next-gen leaders is encouraging them to go to every next-gen pastor in their district and say, what is your discipleship pathway? It's frightening that most of our churches that we're encountering do not have an intentional pathway of discipleship. And it's frightening to me. Because in our consumer society, if we feed consumerism, we will not have maturing disciples of Christ. We must learn how to have a pathway of an intentional discipleship plan. Holy Spirit baptism and spiritual gifts. People have asked me, why did you pull that out of doctrine? Holy Spirit's a doctrine. Well, let me tell you why. There is a skill set to shepherding the gifts of the Spirit in the church. There is a skill set to knowing how to teach people to be sanely Pentecostal. There is a skill set to knowing how to have the fullness of the Spirit without Sister Mabel standing and shaking and saying, Thus saith the Lord. There is a way for the fullness of the Spirit to be exercised every week in our churches and it be biblical, decent, and in order and work the works of God. And it should be taught. That's not something that you just wake up one morning knowing how to do. We have to train in this. Communication. People really should learn how to speak publicly. And can I say, and privately. There's a skill set to one-on-one conversations that our leaders need to learn to have. Some of them are better behind the podium than they are one-on-one. I was one of those. That's why I camped there. Organizational leadership. Uh, Many of us may chafe against this, but the truth is the church is an organization. And there are really good principles that make it work. And there are barriers to keep it from working. And we must train our leaders, especially in a day and age where there are so many governmental regulations, things to do and not do that will get us all in a lot of trouble if we don't, 
that we must train our leaders. This is one of our weakest points and causes us the most grief. Pastoral counsel. People need to be taught what to say and what not to say. And when it's above your pay grade. And when to pass it on to the professionals. There must be especially... For ministers today, you cannot say certain things and do certain things that you might have been able to do even 10 years ago that you cannot do today. We must train and have competencies in these areas. Now, each of these can be built out. Each of these can be broadened according to your curriculum. We are in the process, and Joe, and I'll introduce the team in a few moments, will be dealing with every Institute, ELN, college affiliation, Bible College Ignite, everything we do, every local church that wants to be a part of what we're calling a pre-service training network that says this, we know the calling on our church is to train leaders for the Foursquare Church at large, not just our local community. We believe that God has wired our church, designed us to develop leaders to send out into the U.S. and around the world to help create this leadership pool for Foursquare. Not every church is called to that. Not every institute is called to that. In fact, our statistics are showing us that many of our institutes are higher education for the people of the local church. And I love that. Because of the way the church world has changed, we don't often do a lot of the deeper teaching in our weekend services or even through the week, and people are hungry for it, and we absolutely need it. Lloyd Ogilvie says that every church should have a saint seminary. I believe that. That's how we need to be deeply teaching and discipling our people. But there are some of you who say, I know our church is called to this, and we want to be a part of it. Joe and the team will be identifying all of those of you who say that's us, and we will create a network that will really work on these core competencies and making sure that your programming, your curriculum, everything that you're doing will prepare students that when they graduate from your institute or whatever it is that you're working with, those students, when they come to a licensing interview, will be fully prepared A part of our licensing will be that every district will have a pool of interviewers that will not just be random that they can get to the district office one day, but they will be a group of interviewers that are all trained in a competency tool to see how to assess the competency that we have listed as our core. We understand that with 14 districts doing things differently, there's not always consistency. And there needs to be when it comes to credentialing and licensing. So every district's group will be trained in how to assess the competencies, which will save a little bit of the stories that I've heard of some person on an interview panel having one pet peeve. And they ask that question. (laughs) And they really zero in on it. And it may have nothing to do with your license, but it's really important to that person. We want to get away from that. We want to make sure that all of our interviews respect and honor the work that our students are doing and preparing to be ministers in the Foursquare Gospel. So this is the direction that we are moving toward our pre-service training. So in the future, when you come to these education symposium, for those of you who say, you know what, that's not our call. We really have this institute for our local church. You know, people will graduate out of it that maybe want to be in ministry, but our focus really is to deepen our church and leaders there. You will have a separate track. You're welcome in the other track of training for credentials if you'd like to be, but it won't have the same requirements of you. We want those that are being trained for credentialed ministry in Foursquare to have a consistency to that training and competency. So Joe will talk about that more. Uh, Different groups will be talking to you one-on-one. We want to take some time to roll this out. The other big thing for me that I'm very excited about that I presented to you just quickly last year that has now been approved, we have one resident in Canby, Oregon right now. I was just at Life Pacific College this week. Joe and I were here. I think we have about 15 or 20 students who have signed up to be residents this fall. Uh, I think we're going to have about 10 to 15 churches ready this fall for a field test for graduates of our institutes, ELNs, or colleges 
that say, I want to be a resident. Now, this came to me because I was going into medical school. I was, I was not doing what I'm doing now. I was graduating as a junior from high school, going straight to ORU to medical school, uh, when the Lord and Gary intercepted my life. I say, God and Gary changed my whole course of life. And I'm glad they did. But along that way, I was learning about the medical field. And one of the things that I saw that has always stayed with me is the power of education, internship, and residency. And what each of those uniquely does in the shaping of a mind and heart of a person. So this is what we're replicating here. Our students are receiving training. There are different internship opportunities, whether they're ELN ongoing, summer opportunities with our districts or our colleges. And now the residency. The residency is for graduates to go into a church for one to two years And in that one to two years, not have more training, but to practice what they've learned. To carry the weight of the responsibility of that leadership. To experience what it is to lead a council meeting. To experience what it is to develop a budget. To experience what it is to preach week after week. To experience what it is to be in counseling sessions and intervention sessions and all kinds of things in the local church. We hope to grow this to the point where we have them for senior pastors, church planters, executive pastors, worship leaders, next-gen leaders. I'd love to have residency churches that have a specialty in these, that students with all kinds of ministry focus can go to a residency, spend one to two years really experiencing the Jesus model of practice, having the correction that's needed. But the most important point is that it puts the deployment process into the local church. I have a bias. Ministry happens at the local church. So we want to get deployment of ministry at the local church. We want the local church to become the covering and the care for that minister. And I'll tell you, I have a dream about church planting out of this. That we have a number of churches that are just church planting machines. That, that they not only get one resident, but they get a church planting team. And they have that team for one to two years. And they shape them. They help develop them. They help them raise funds. They help them with their plant. And they deploy them as the sending church. And it becomes a connection point for coaching and care automatically built into our church planting. So we need a lot of those residency churches because we have big dreams for that. That's the kind of thing we want to make more relational connection with our students when they leave. Because what I've been most troubled about is that when they graduate, what happens to them? We almost pat them on the back and say, hope it all works out. And we have a sense of responsibility to get them connected and help them practice and then deploy them. I don't want to lose any more students. I want to see them be deployed. And we see that we have to have a farm club, an intentional system to deploy our graduates into ministry. Why? Because the harvest is white. And the laborers are few. And we can gather a lot of the laborers that have been trained that just kind of get lost in the system somewhere and get them intentionally deployed into ministry. There's a lot more detail about the residency. You can read about it in the document. But mostly what you'll find there is we're letting the local church shape it. We're letting the local church define what their residency looks like. And they'll be the ones that really are responsible for giving that finishing school, so to speak, to these students, these graduates, and then deploying them. There's been more excitement at the grassroots level about this than anything we've done to date. Just throwing a little bit of information out, we've gotten more response back from churches who say, we know this is our calling and are very excited to engage it. So we will field test it this fall. We'll have another group start in January. Every semester we will have a new group started and ready to go. And I'm very excited about the potential of what this can be like. Can you imagine even the cause within a local church when they start understanding that everything they're doing, they're helping to multiply and advance the kingdom 
by sending out these new ministers. I have a sense that it'll kind of be like giving birth. And it was one of the most painful things I've ever done in my life. But also the most joyous thing I've ever experienced. And it brings new life to an old family when you have new babies. Whether it's adoption or giving birth. That's what we want to see accomplished in all of our leadership training. We want to get very intentional in everything that we're doing. Let me introduce the team And I say team because you've been accustomed to Dan Hedges, and he's still very much involved in a part of the team. But to do all that we're trying to do in this, it takes a team. So I want to introduce them and let you know their role. Joe, as he's already said, he is working closely with me. I will tell you, uh, our National Church Office core team, we're really focused on our president's five targets, which is the multiplication and health of leaders, churches, nations, people, groups, and resources. So our core team, is what we have in our office, is really focusing on helping our districts and local church get missionally effective in those targets. Because this one is my passion, and you can tell that, I don't let this one go very easy. So Joe is working with me, and he probably has less freedom to run with this than any of the others because this is the one that I just want to keep my fingerprint on because it's such a personal passion. If I could do anything right now, I'd run with it myself. It's just not humanly possible. So I also know it's the heart and passion of Joe. If you don't know him, you will want to get to know him. Uh, Joe has this very unique gifting of a lot of background in administration. He was a CFO for USC Medical Center for the school. He has had a lot of background in that, and yet his heart is so missional, so uh, ministry-minded that the two come together. He worked at USC. He's worked at King's College and Seminary. So he has a lot of background in education in finance and administration. So he's just a unique gift and the perfect one to help walk alongside in this. And so you met Joe. Uh, Courtney Hall, down here at the end, we call him the education coordinator. He's really the one doing all of the paperwork, answering all of your questions, making sure our Christian schools are all certified and giving their report each year, helping you get certified, answer your questions, do all of our application process, getting these things off the ground of all that, that beloved administration Administration that has to be done uh, to get things going. So, Courtney, would you stand and let them know for sure who you are? And Dan Hedges, you know, but Dan, I want you to stand. Uh, in this season, Dan is focusing on higher education, specifically Life Pacific College, our affiliate colleges, and Ignite. Uh, And here's the reason why. His experience, his expertise when it comes to accreditation and making sure that we do what we're supposed to do cannot be overstated. In fact, he's on the ground here at Life Pacific College. They probably know him personally at Southwest Airlines, I have a feeling, uh, because of his flights back and forth between Albuquerque and here. Lives in Albuquerque, but he is here during this season Uh, in our presidential search process for the college with the WASC issues that we've been walking through and the accreditation here. He helped us completely get the affiliate colleges together, which today we have two affiliate colleges, which is the King Seminary and New Hope Christian College in Eugene and Hawaii. So he stays very closely connected with them and all that they're doing. With Ignite and its expansion, its connection to life, he has a full-time job with those, and of course he is consulting us with all things Institute because this was something he was such a critical part of in the birthing of those. So he is still very much involved as part of the team. Sarah Warnock, sitting here by Dan. Sarah, if you want to stand. Sarah is the Foursquare Online Leadership Community Coordinator, big language, but all it is is we are trying to develop courses for in-service training for our pastors that are affordable and accessible. Sarah has had great experience at George Fox University and has been teaching there and is on staff at West Salem with John Phelan. And she is developing, working with our teachers and developing courses. We have a few online right now. We've been beta testing. We'll have a polity course fully online. And I'm very excited about what she brings to the team and her experience. Tim Mossholder, where are you, Tim? Would you stand? Everybody knows Tim as well, unless you're new this year. Tim is the ELN coordinator. 
He serves our churches by coordinating this ELN community, which is the Emerging Leader Network. In case you're new, it is the immersion discipleship model with education. Bill Gross on our team is here. Bill, if you want to stand. Bill focuses mainly on church multiplication, church health, target two, the president. And then Lisa, did you come in? Lisa Penberthy is our communications operations in our office. And then Daniel Prieto, I'm very excited about. Uh, our Hispanic ministries are growing by leaps and bounds. They are slated to plant some 50 churches, Hispanic churches, Spanish-speaking churches, in this next year. Uh, Daniel's leadership on our core team uh, is really working with districts and all of the strategies that they have. And Hispanic education is a key for us. Hispanic institutes, they're going to be developing these, and I am very excited about the future of Foursquare with Hispanic ministries. So to conclude tonight, I wanted to bring a little bit of the values, the inspiration, a little bit of the nuts and bolts of where we're, we are not just headed, but where we are going right now and very involved in. It's for two very important reasons. I believe the blueprint for the next 100 years is found in the first 10. I believe if we will be fully who we were born to be in the early 1920s, we will see fruitfulness like we have never dreamed before. I believe that the value of the balance of the word and the fullness of the spirit and that every four square minister has a disposition to be a lifelong learner of both will cause us to be the best version of ourselves. I want our people to be able to give such a well-thought, well-understood, biblically-based answer and done so with such the power of the Spirit that people turn their hearts to Christ. We live in a world where knowledge is valued. It's at the click of a mouse. You know you're in a world where knowledge is valued when there's an entire new encyclopedia that's created by the common person called Wikipedia. Everybody's interested in education. We've created our own encyclopedia, for goodness sakes. When there are more people engaging in some form of learning Every day, it's so accessible to everyone who has a basic computer. The availability of knowledge is everywhere. The church cannot lag behind in this. The church cannot lag behind. We must be able to have a good understanding of the world. We must be able people who can stand next to the most educated person in the nation and be able to carry on a conversation about something outside of our little sphere. Did you hear my bias in this? We must be Christians with an expanded world view. That when people say, have you read? No, we don't read such things. Well, did you see that? No, we don't know about such things. We are not meant to be isolationists. In fact, Jesus' prayer said, Father, I pray that you do not take them out of the world, but guard them from the evil one in it. To be salt and light, you must be in the darkness and in the bland. The message I've been preaching around the nation this year is salt and light to change the world. And I've taken Gabe Lyons' approach to the next Christians and used those as the topics to say that we must be creators, not critics. We must not be offended by the world, but provoked to action because of it. Yes. We must be people who are grounded in the word of God so that we're not moved or swayed by the culture that we're in. 
We must be people who are in community because we're not good alone. We weren't created to be. And we must be people that are countercultural, not relevant. And I'll tell you why. Relevancy, to, for a church to say we want to be relevant, implies you aren't. And that shouldn't even be in our thought processes. What should be in our thought processes is that we are normal people who live in the world, but we are not of it. We should be people that are so filled by living in the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that our lives are pervasive with love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, and self-control. Why? Because that's the most countercultural world I can imagine. To be a people so filled with the love and the grace of God and all the fruit of the Spirit and the power of that Spirit manifested in us will make you a friend of notorious sinners. But it'll make you different. And it'll make you different in a way that people won't call weird. (laughs) But we'll be like Jesus that people are drawn to you. There is a characteristic of our lives that people want to be around. Educators, leaders. I use this word with deep meaning. I implore you to consider what I'm saying tonight and be renewed and refreshed, revived even in our approach to training and developing people. Discipleship is the core. You can call it developing leaders. You can call it education, training, whatever you want to call it. Jesus called it discipleship. And that's really what it is. That people would know who he is, would follow him well, and lead others to do the same. And may they do so in such a way that the world doesn't disregard us because we're uh, not only uneducated, but disconnected from the world. But may we be able to connect with our world, but be a changing force in it. I want to challenge you tonight to not be here as business as usual. We live in one of the most complex, dark times this world has ever known. And that never makes me nervous. I get a little bit giddy about it. Because the word says that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. I know that the darker it gets, the less light is even needed to change things. One candle illuminates the darkest room. And you've probably heard me on my tangent about a candle in every community. 4,400 college campuses across this nation. What if we had a church plant in every one of them? I think we'd change the world because those young people are going to go out and be the world leaders. 85% of Christians come to Christ before the age of 14. I think if we have a discipleship pathway that is training our children and youth, in 15 years, America will be a different nation. It worked in Cambodia. I think it comes back to focusing on discipleship and the power of the Holy Spirit, and training leaders to be able to do this. However you train them. That's why I loved what he said. I'm not talking about signing up for a bunch of classes. However we do it. That's why we're looking at competency, not coursework. The coursework is a part of it, but we need the outcome. And how do we open minds and hearts to truly be changed and to learn to lead? That's what we're after. And we're looking for the Foursquare Church to have the best days ahead. Lord, thank you for these educators, these leaders that are here tonight. I know I'm passionate. This has been growing in me a long time. It is such a heart cry for me personally. 
Lord, I know what happens. I know the confidence that's gained in a person when they are educated. I know what happens when a person feels like they know the answer and it's empowered by the Spirit. What happens in a leader's life? I know what happens when I've watched a person become transformed and have a personal life plan. I know what happens when a person stands with confidence and delivers a message or has a solution to a problem or can help a young couple who are about to give up on marriage because this leader has been well prepared. And in doing so, dependent upon you for your spirit's grace and direction, transformation happens in people's lives. Lord, would you ignite a passion in all of us to take this discipleship of leaders far more serious than we have. And not only that, Lord, but that we do it together, that synergy would come in the Foursquare Church as we unite together around a common theme. We want to be the answer to your prayer. You said the harvest is white and the laborers are few. We want to change that. We want to be the answer to that statement. That we'll have more laborers than we even have field for. Lord, thank you that we've seen this modeled in our history. And may it not just be our history, but may it be the greatest future we've ever seen. That we would send four square young people and older people alike into the field ready. The dream of my heart is to mentor and train people. And after they've been out a while, come back. Them take me to lunch and say, thank you, I was ready. That's our role. Show us how to do it better. In your name, Lord. And it's for the expansion of your kingdom and the glory of your name. Amen. Uh